on Main Street, Jeffersonville, featuring eclectic furnishings, clothing, antiques, records, and books in a charming 19th century house. VintageHouseJVille.com and on Instagram at VintageHouseJVille. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. The Women's March for Reproductive Health Rights was held across the country on October 2nd, 2021. People gathered in the rural town of Narrowsburg, New York, along the Delaware River. They began on the bridge which connects New York State to Pennsylvania. And there, people joined together with the rest of the country's sister marches to shout clear and enraged messages to the Texas legislature and to the United States Supreme Court that they will not accept the Texas unconstitutional abortion ban there or anywhere else in the country. The Texas ban is the most strict in the country and bans abortions as early as six weeks. The Justice Department has asked, demanded, that the Supreme Court block this Texas abortion law. Join us to meet community members from the Sullivan County Catskills who are reflecting the many marches and people who came together on October 2nd and who continue to fight this ban and advocate for reproductive rights for women. Hi, my name is Roberta. I'm actually here from Delaware, visiting friends in Pennsylvania, so I thought I would show up here because it's that important. It's First of all, it's no one else's business. It's no one else's business. You don't want an abortion, don't get one. It's none of my business or anybody else's, pure and simple. Hi, my name is Christine. I'm here because abortion has to be widespread, available, safe, and legal. Women need abortions. And if we don't get behind this issue, it's just ridiculous that this is going to be killing underprivileged women who don't have access to it. It's going to be killing women who are stuck in relationships that, that are abusive. And it's going to be killing women who have had, you know, been abused and are, are raped and they, they have to get rid of their, their fetus. And, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I have made a vow to nonviolence. I don't think it's a violent act to abort a fetus that is either unwanted or unviable. Priscilla Bassett. And I am a spokesperson for senior women and men. And for many, many years, I have supported the right of women to choose. And I think that's what this is all about. And here I am with my 93-year-old body out here standing strong. Thank you. I'm Star Hesse, and I, with Priscilla, have been out supporting women's rights and just general civil rights for people. And we wanted to be here today to show our support that this is a very important issue and everyone should get behind it. And especially the New York Health Act, which we wouldn't have half of these problems if we had the New York Health Act in place. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm Lise Kennedy. I'm here with Priscilla Bassett uh, representing Sullivan County and just supporting women's rights and the right to choose in Sullivan County, which doesn't have a single place where anyone could get an abortion and a very, very part-time Planned Parenthood. Uh, And, you know, it's very sad how few services there are in Sullivan County. So that's why I'm here, because nobody should ever have to, you know, go without medical help when they need it. Amazing. I just wanted to thank you for coming. I'm Jessie. I helped organize this. I'm so glad to see all your faces here. Super excited. Um, I just wanted to go over the agenda for a second. We're going to stand on the bridge for a while and meet each other, hold our signs up, and then um, we're going to march through town in a little while and just make our voices heard. And uh, we have the support from all of the store owners and everything, so that's been pretty awesome. And then we're going to gather on the deck for some speeches. And we have some amazing people here to talk, and we're really excited. And I'm just really appreciative to see so many faces out here. So thank you so much for standing with us today. My name is Jessie Spizzato, and um, I organized this march. I actually had the help of Beverly Sterner as well, who many people know, and she's been, you know, a longtime activist doing things on the Narrowsburg Bridge for a long time. So glad that we're all fighting for this really important right together. And not just reproductive rights, but uh, abortion access for everyone forever. My name is Francis. I am chair of the Democratic Party here in Tustin in this town. So I'm so delighted that once again, the Narrowsburg Bridge is the site for awesome protest. And uh, we need to do everything we can to support women everywhere, but particularly in Texas right now. We're going to kick this off with Michelle Minerwolf, who has lived in Wayne County, Pennsylvania since 1997, and she's worked as the executive director of the Victims Intervention Program there for the last 24 years. Michelle works tirelessly to help survivors have a voice and seek justice. Let's welcome Michelle Minerwolf. I am so excited to see this turnout. I wasn't expecting to see so many people, so this is absolutely wonderful. So I'm glad that you're all here. So today across our nation, people have gathered to rally for abortion justice. And here we are in Narrowsburg. We must continue to stand together, walk together, and fight together for abortion justice. Abortion must be affordable and accessible to all. And can we please stop shaming people who get an abortion? We do not know a person's reason. We don't know their story. And we don't need to. It's not our story. Instead, let's listen to their story if they want to speak it. Let's support them. Let's lift them up. VIP has been providing services to victims and survivors since the 80s. I personally have worked with many people who have experienced reproductive coercion. Reproductive coercion is behavior that interferes with autonomous decision-making of a person with regards to reproductive health. It may take the form of birth control sabotage, pregnancy coercion, or controlling the outcome of a pregnancy, which could be forcing an abortion or not allowing a person to have one. Basically, it involves a person making the decision for another person who is fully capable to make her own decision. I have listened to stories that still make my heart hurt. I have sat and supported with people who were forced to terminate their pregnancies, but I've also listened to people that were kept from getting an abortion when that is what they wanted. All of these stories caused these survivors great pain. The choice was made for them, not with them. One afternoon, I was making a visit as a hospice volunteer with a very pleasant woman that I visited with once a week during the end of her life. 
She learned from someone else that I had worked or that I do work at VIP. She told me how grateful she was for the services that she received when she was a young teenager. And then she told me her story. This person was a survivor of incest by her father who impregnated her. He made her deliver that baby who had so many medical issues that the only option was residential care forever. That individual was never able to leave there, nor did she have any concept even of where she was, and that was no quality of life. When the survivor became an adult, the child that she had given birth to had died, and she had to bury her daughter, who never lived with her even one day. Not only did this woman suffer the trauma of incest, she delivered her father's child, never got to live with that child, and then had to bury her all because she could not get an abortion. This is the story I listened to during a woman's last days on earth, and it shows you how that pain remains. This is only one story that involves re-traumatization because a person was stopped against their will from getting an abortion. Women who become pregnant from rape, women who survive child sexual abuse, incest, and more. I have observed the re-traumatization of these victims and survivors and the lifetime effects it has on them. And then there are those victims and survivors who were able to move forward and get an abortion. They had the resources and support in place to do so. Nevertheless, they were afraid because of the stigma. They kept it a secret. They suffered in silence. They had to walk past people shouting horrible things and displaying terrible photos as they entered places. And then there are those individuals who wanted an abortion, but it was not accessible to them. It was not affordable to them. And it was not free of harassment shame and stigma. This is why the message here today is so important. This rally is not just about keeping abortion legal, it's about keeping it legal while also making it accessible, affordable, and stigma-free for all. We need to keep the light on this issue and we need to keep this conversation going. An easy way to remember it are four A's. Abortion, accessibility, affordability, and acceptance for all. Thank you. Erin Feely Nahum, and my message is equal rights. It's our body. Let us choose. My name is Steve, and uh, my message is that um, it's just as important to men that women have their proper equal rights as it is to the women themselves. It's going to help us all in the long run. Ari Mayor Pontier has been a community organizer since she was 12 years old. She created a multicultural program for Sullivan Renaissance. She served as the executive director of the Sullivan County Human Rights Commission and the constituent services manager for New York State Senator Jen Metzger. She currently works as the outreach director for Congressman Antonio Delgado. Let's hear it for Ari Marapantier. Thank you um, for being here today. On behalf of Congressman Delgado, I want to just deliver his message first. He is here in spirit and will continue, and I believe me, he works very hard for women's rights, and he will continue to do that. He is committed to do that. But I'm going to take off my little federal hat, and I'm going to speak to you now as a woman, as an immigrant woman. I came to this country when I was a child as a refugee. One of the things that I first noticed when I came here was the disparity that even though it was supposed to be better from where I was, in many ways, it was worse. There was so much disparity with race, with, with religion, with ethnic, anything ethnic. We spoke a different language, that was a terrible thing. 
And one of the things that there was so much disparity back then that I noticed as a little kid was that gender had so much to do with what you got and when you got it. And then as a young immigrant child and young lady, I was facing a lot of discrimination and a lot of violence against my body. And I was expected to accept that. So I did not. You know, I don't believe in that. I believe that every woman, whether American-born or immigrant or on the other side of the planet, deserves respect with their choices, especially to do with their bodies. It is their bodies. It is our bodies. I had four children as a single mom because I chose to do that. It was my choice. I worked very hard to raise my family by myself. That was my choice. I had that right. Now, I, I shudder to think we're going backwards, that all the good things that I saw move forward for women, we now see going backwards. We're, we're being told very proactively that we're less than, and we are not going to listen to that, and we're not, we're just not going to do it. want to say is that today I stand with you here, I march with you here, but beyond today, we have to work together. We have to weave a safety net for women. We have to help them with whatever choice they're making. We can't just stand and march and walk away. We have to help. Le digo hoy a ustedes todos que está, yo estoy aquí parada con ustedes y marcho con ustedes. Pero mañana, después de hoy, tenemos que trabajar a tejer una red de silla de protección y seguridad para todas las mujeres. No importa su decisión. Thank you. My name is Mary Jones, and my message today is that all of us, all of us, not just women, we have to protect our rights. And women's rights are human rights. And we have to make sure that we have good health care, that we're not going to go to prison for supporting our women, and that the nonsense has to stop. The hunt for women has got to stop. That's why I'm here. Hi, my name is Larry Hirsch. I'm out here because I really can't believe after 48 years we're still debating this issue. And, you know, the women's right to choose should be taken for granted and it should be something that, you know, it just be something that we should respect the women and... and the fact that they're still challenging this in Texas and Mississippi and everything is, is, to me, outrageous, and we have to really make our voices heard. Hi, Annie Stanley. Yeah, this whole thing with the bounty hunting uh, for people who uh, aid in abortion or doctors who perform abortions, that kind of put it over the edge. And I think we need to pass the ERA. It's long overdue. We probably wouldn't be in this position if that had happened. And there's enough women in the Congress and Senate right now to push that through. Enough is enough. And we're going backwards. It's 2021. If these people in Texas think that they can turn back the clock 50 years, then we're in, we're in serious trouble. It's just a fight that we're just going to have to fight again because of the, the ignorance and the misogyny in our society. These old men who keep making these decisions to undermine women's power in society. 
My name is Andrea Henley-Hine, and I can't believe we're still fighting about this 50 years later. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's just plain and simple. Women will die without safe and legal abortions. It's a very simple message. Women deserve the right to choose. If you don't want to wear a mask, how come you can tell me that I can't do with my body what I want to do? My name is Ken Wampler, and I live in White Sulphur Springs with my husband, Gordon, right here. And my message is get off of our bodies. You can't have it both ways to say uh, with, with vaccines, my body, my choice, and then turn around and say a woman doesn't have a right to choose how she takes care of her own body and her own life. So um, that's my message. Georgette Pascato, I made a couple of signs. One reads, it's the law. Women have the right to choose. And the other one says, my body, my choice. My name is uh, Ike Naham. I live over in Koshekton and also in the city. This is a great action, support of women's right to choose. I'm in particular involved in uh, activity against the U.S. blockade of Cuba, and I wanted to bring to people here because the fight for abortion rights is an international movement that Cuba, which is a victim of the U.S. blockade and economic embargo, was the first country in the uh, Western Hemisphere to legalize abortion rights. And now other countries in the Americas are following that example, Uruguay, Argentina, Mexico. But since 1962, abortion rights were illegal in Cuba, along with other advances for Cuban rights. And I wanted to bring that message, which I'm getting a great response from the people here. But independent of that, we got to defend the rights that they're trying to take away from us. Thank you. Well, my name is Eileen. We're not going back. We're just not. Uh, enough is enough. Safe legal abortion is health care. And this was given to me by another volunteer. I stand with Planned Parenthood. My name is Lauren from Narsburg. Um, and I'm here today to ensure that all women have access to care that they deserve. Um, abortion is a right, and we all should have safe access to that. Yeah, my name is Martin Springetti, and uh, I'm here in support of all women because I know they're the better half, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Miranda. Safe abortion is health care, and everyone deserves the right to health care. My name's Sam Bianco. I'm from northeastern Pennsylvania, and I'm here because I have a young daughter whose rights I want to be preserved for all eternity. I believe that it's very important that people understand that just because something is a right today does not mean it's going to be a right tomorrow and that people need to fight for good because good just not, does not just happen. Naomi Tepich from Damascus, Pennsylvania. It's been 29 years since the 1992 March for Choice in Washington on April 5th. And here we are again, still fighting for the same rights. It's just amazing uh, that things don't change that fast. And I'm here um, to honor all the young women who have to go through this continuously. I'm older and I can deal with it. And uh, I hope we succeed this year. I really do. Buck Moorhead in solidarity with women and my wife. Joe Levine. Women should rule. That's it. Women should rule. Can't trust us men for a minute. You know, men shouldn't be making those decisions for women, especially big old white old men. It's about time that this came to an end. It's been going on too long, and I hope something changes, and it has to change 
can't change quick enough and it has to change drastically. And I hope everybody continues to work hard for it. Something's got to change. I, I think our representatives in, in government are changing, and this is important. Starting change at the local level is the most important thing to do, and then we work from the bottom up and continue this fight for women's rights. My name is Jim D'Amico, and she's probably about to yell. But, uh, yeah, we're just here for her future to stand up for women's rights. My name is Ken, and it's a beautiful day. People are out here talking about what is important in our country. My name is Kathy. I'm here because this is extremely important for the young women of today, all women of today, but especially the young women, to go forward and see that there is support, that we settled this issue, as we were just talking about. We've, this has, should have been settled. It's unfathomable that this is happening today in 2021, and every vote here is matters, and they care about votes. Every person here is going is, counts as a vote. My name is Sue. Women's right to choose does not belong in the government's hands. Hi, I'm Teresa, and I also believe that politics need to stay out of women's reproductive health. And this is for, I'm here to represent the future of girls and women everywhere around the world. Sarah Donahue, and I'm here for all human rights. We're humans. We need to treat each other like humans and realize that we have a right to choose what we do with this body we've been given. And I'm very excited to see everyone else here today. I'm Marie Lou, and there's on so many levels I feel that what Texas is doing is very wrong, but I chose on my sign to say to address the situation where we're only holding 50% of the co-creators of a human accountable and criminal for an unwanted pregnancy. And that's why my sign says ban Viagra, force vasectomies, and encourage day-after pills. If they really cared about um, the unborn children, then wouldn't they then hold men responsible and come up with other solutions so that women do not have to go through this? But it's real. I do believe that it's just a conspiracy to, to put women back a hundred years or more. They'd rather see us just being at home, raising children, and not being part of the working world and political world. Barbara Weber, and my thoughts are that we shouldn't be turning back the hands of time. This is crazy, and Texas is insane. Six weeks, most people don't even know they're pregnant until they're two months. And it's just insane, and other states are joining. I have six granddaughters and three daughters. No, it's time to move forward. This is insanity to go backwards. And she's right. If this were a man, forget it. There wouldn't be an issue if the men were the ones who have to deal with it. Fifty years ago, eight men gave us the right. And now you want to turn back the hands of time? No. It's insane. Hi, my name is Ayelet Gezo, and my message is live and let live. We don't tell you what to do. Don't tell us what to do. Lynn Reno, I'm standing up for civil rights and women's rights, and we don't want them to be taken away. David Breikoff uh, of Liberty. The Supreme Court is absolutely insane these days and they're inconsistent and they're just overturning precedent left and right and I think that's a horrible situation. And this is just a perfect example of what's going on in Texas. So. 
My name is Miriam, and I'm very happy to see the turnout for such a great cause, and I hope that this is a step forward in the right direction. Hi, I'm Brianna Williams, and I stand by Parent Parenthood's rights. And I hope that this affects Texas, and I know this is so small compared to that, but this is still standing up for what we believe in. My name is Amanda Melson. I stand with women and support reproductive freedom for all. Hillary Smith, and I'm standing with Planned Parenthood and with women everywhere for control over our own reproductive rights. Hi, Patricia Byrne, and I, again, I'm going to echo what um, Hillary said. We're here because, you know, no male should be telling us what we can do with our bodies. Lisa Homa. Keep your religion out of my womb. I don't think that religion should play a part in decisions. It should be a separation of church and state, and the Republican Party has become one that's run by the evangelical right. And I just... It's, it's, it's not good. I'm Alex Dancer. I'm from Oregon, and I'm staying in Monticello with my sister right now. Well, I'm just glad to be here in solidarity with all these other folks who are here. Take your loss off my body. My name is Catherine Glasson, and my message is let women be free. That all of these words, liberty, freedom... Uh, the ability to be self-determined, the ability to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. They count for women, too. Hi, I'm Armand Prati. That was my wife, Catherine, there. And uh, I am happy to be standing here with her in support of women's rights to be free and to determine what the heck to do with their own bodies. And I find it unbelievable that there's no provisions for anything in this. I mean, despite the fact that they're taking away a basic right, they're doing it in the most disgusting way. And I think everyone should stand up and be offended by this and say something and get this changed. Yes. Yay! <laughs> My name is Ann Lunny. Uh, when I was in high school, I actually was on the pro side of a d- debate on abortion. And the thing I walked away with is wealthy people will continue to get self-safe abortions and poor people will either continue to have children or have unsafe abortions. And I think that's a really strong reason to support pro-choice. My name's Rebecca DeRosa, and I have a sign here that says, um, if you don't like abortion, don't get one. So pretty much just mind your business. For me, like, I know that a lot of people don't like abortion, maybe for religious reasons, but I just don't think that their personal beliefs or religious beliefs should be in part of legislation um, or a law. Um, You know, if they don't want to get one, they don't have to get one, but it should be safe and accessible and legal for people that do need to get them as part of their health care so they can plan their lives and and live the way that they need to live, you know. So that's why I'm here. (laughs) I'm Caitlin McCann, and I'm just here standing up for women's rights. Um, We are 50% of the world's population, and the blame, the burden, the weight, responsibility all falls on us, and it's time that that changes. So... My name is Nancy Wells, and my question, although this is not 100% on mark for what's going on, is why a male doesn't have to go through this, and what makes men think they can make decisions for women? Women don't go around doing this to men. I mean, it's it's like a very one-sided kind of better-than-you attitude, and I think that, that we need to rethink all that thinking. 
Uh, my name is Kathleen McCann-Smith, and my message is equal rights and human rights for all, especially women. We're going to start walking down Main Street now, and we're going to walk to the end of the street, and then we're going to turn around and end up at the deck, where you're going to have a few speeches. <laughs> Special thanks to Rosie Starr for the field reporting for this episode. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. I'm Scott Simon. If you've raised children, you know the best way to address fear is with truthful information, calmly and comfortingly delivered. That's what NPR News always tries to do in times of crisis, too. That old car in your driveway can actually help us. By donating it to this station, you'll turn your car into more solid information brought to you by voices you trust. Here's how. Donate at WJFFradio.org. You're listening to Radio Catskill. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. So I'm very excited that my friends Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw are joining me for this virtual trailer talk. We're going to imagine we're at the kitchen table and uh, have this conversation about about what you have been doing during this pandemic. And let's start at the beginning and bring us right up to this moment in Sullivan County, New York. So please introduce yourselves. I'm Peggy Sharp, and this is Lois Weaver. I'm Lois Weaver. And we are here with our friend Sabrina. <laughs> and we're, we're very excited to talk about Let's Actually, talk about who you are, though. Who are you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who are you, Peggy Shaw? Who are you? Um, I don't know. Uh, I used to be a performer. You're the, still a performer. I used to be a dancer before never, my operation. You were never a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be a performer, and now um, I survive day by day, according to whatever is going on. And we were in, me and Lois. And I am Lois, and I am also a performer. And together, over the last 40 years, we've been in um, a company called Split Bridges, which and that, it's an independent performance company. We've made our own work, performed our own work around all kinds of issues that uh, look at those issues primarily through the lens of what it means to be a feminist and what it means to be a lesbian and and also what it means to be working class. And it, old. And now old. We were <laughs> always old. But no, no, we're I always was always old. <laughs> Uh, we're also educators, uh, teachers, and uh, and activists. Peggy's a painter. You know, we we do what we have to do to say the things we want to say about how we want the world to be. 
So there we were in London. We had gigs. We had a new show opening at La Mama in April. That same show opening at the Barbican in London. And when the pandemic hit, I was in London rehearsing with Lois for our opening in New York. And everything was canceled, of course, as it should have been. La Mama was canceled and the Barbican was canceled. So we found ourselves in London, me with nowhere to stay, and Lois... Well, you had a state place to stay, but we, we could feel the, the lockdown was imminent. And I was in one neighborhood and Peggy was in another neighborhood. And we realized she was either going to have to come back to New York or we were going to have to get her closer to me so that we could manage this together. We could look after each other. So uh, we felt like New York and the trip, trip to New York was too risky at that point. So we decided that Peggy should stay in London and we started looking for a place for her to be near me because I was in a situation where I didn't have room for her. Right. So the woman that Lois was living with uh, heard us talking about this and said, I'm going to go do something. So she went and found us. A, actually, it was the woman next door who said they just bought a house in the same neighborhood around the corner and they weren't going to renovate it for a while so we could have it and hit, and she had the keys. So being people who uh, live by the moment, we accepted this as, oh, I guess I'm going to stay in London and finish the show, which was very hard not to finish, even though we didn't have gigs. So we moved into this amazing three-story Victorian house that was completely empty and hadn't been changed. Uh, it took the woman who had lived there before and died there uh, had lived there for 50 years. So it was still, it was still in that state and completely empty. So we opened up our storage and brought out all of our sets and tables and rocking chairs and made a home with, with the help of lots of other people as well and made a home there uh, for the next four months. Well, we decided since we hadn't finished the show and since we were in this empty house for a long time, they said that we had no limit as to how long we could stay there, that we would, and everyone was using Zoom, we didn't know all that much about Zoom, that we would make a Zoom video of the show and use only what we had, which was Zoom, which was tables and chairs, and which was, we didn't have costumes, we didn't have... We actually, just, first of all, decided to try to keep working on the show because it wasn't quite finished, and we thought, oh my God, you know, it might be months, it might be years before we get back to it, we don't want to lose it. Anyway, so we started working on it, um, and as we began to work on it, we realized that creating something for the Zoom frame was like creating something for the stage, and it became a really good process for working on the show. But then it generated something quite great that we would like to show people, which we will do. Uh, we're going to do that in November. So we actually made this other thing out of this locked down process of wanting to continue working on the thing that would have been had it not been for the pandemic. Well, because we also, the woman who was going to be our production manager at La Mama, said, let's make a Zoom video. And Vivian Stoll, who was already working on the show, said she would do the music. So we created this piece, which is almost done, which is almost edited now, by now, and Vivian, and me and Lois. And Lois was working with Morgan Thorson, who's a choreographer from Minneapolis. 
And so we all just got very excited and, and made this piece. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you, could get a word in, you could get a word in edgewise if you try. Well, I was going to ask how this translated for you, because you initially had this intention, this would be a live performance and our lives have shifted so radically at this point because of the pandemic, because so much of your work is about engaging with your communities and live theatrical performances. How did you find this experience of shifting that framework? One of the things that happened was that I, I shifted quite naturally into the Zoom frame. Um, I, I love technology and I love communicating electronically. So, and I was having to teach because we had to finish up our semester that way. And so I shifted quite naturally into it. And I began to think of the, and I noticed a lot of artists were struggling with making that translation. And I started to think of the new Zoom frame as the new proscenium arch, you know, the ways in which all over these like 18th and 19th century, we made work that was fit into that frame of the proscenium arch. I thought, okay, now we're going to make work that fits into this frame. It was quite exciting, actually. That we we were able to do that. Oops, our phone is ringing. So you were talking though, Lois, about kind of looking at the Zoom box, you know, the frame as the as a proscenium arch, using it in that kind of way. And I'm wondering if, as you were creating this work, you're in the lockdown, you were in London for months because of it, and you weren't able to return to the USA, to upstate New York. But did the nature of your work also change in terms of the content or what you felt you needed to express? Well, I'm answering that, but Peggy will we'll well, chime I'll, in. I'll, I'll just start it. Um, the reason the show is called The Last Gasp is because I'm retired. I just wanted to retire. I didn't want to do the shows anymore every night. And what happened to me is that, guess what? I wasn't anymore. <laughs> so I had all this time, but I also was doing the show on video, which meant once you did it, you didn't have to do it every night. It was like watching a movie. So once we recorded it, then you just play it back. You don't have to do it. So I just kind of really got into the movie thing as a, as thrilling. And also what we had most of was time. We had a lot of time to make a show, which we've never had this much time before. We had, in the last few years, we've gotten several residencies that gave us time. And then all of a sudden, here we were in, in um, at the last phase of our show, and we had time again. Time. Right. It was right. almost so- like the 70s again, where we actually had, I don't know, we could think, and we could take walks, and we could you know, the the incredible people who gave us this house didn't charge us. We weren't paying for it. So we had uh, um, food delivered every week. We had food delivered. We had money for food. We had, so it was time that we actually got. And it was but very exciting. Also, I think when you, you, you made the point that our work is so often about the community, whether it was, you know, the lesbian community, the, you know, the feminist community, the community of elders, uh, and has been more and more so over the last few years. And I think what happened was because we could not interact with community and we couldn't create the work in order for that to be live with the community, we started to interact in, fir- in the first place with the architecture of the house. 
and as Peggy talked about the how the how she was in her last gasp and that's it was going to be her last show and we were talking about the last gasp of this climate and this planet and you know and, and politically um, we were in a in a house that was also in its last gasp you know because we were the last inhabitants before this house would be completely gutted and turned into something completely different so we we sunk into the architecture but we also then uh, sunk into the neighborhood and got to know the neighbors in a way that we don't often do and interacted with the neighbors and started to generate um, a sense of history of what that house had been and who had lived there and how they had lived there. So that the piece, which is called Last Gas, now sits a, uh, in a bigger piece that's part of our residency that we're conducting right now with La Mama and the project, overarching project of that is called Sheltered in Place. And we're really looking at what does it mean to have time? What does it mean to stay home? What does home mean? What yes. And I want to add that my experience, my experiences with you as artists, as creators, uh, has always been that you invite the site of where you are and the community with whom you're, let's say, interacting with to dialogue in some way to affect the work. And that's something that struck me over the decades, actually, that we've known each other. And I think back to the days of the WOW Theater Cafe and the East Village of New York City, where there's somehow inherent in so much of your work is some kind of invitation to the audience, to the participants who are the viewers, let's say. Whether it's an invitation to think about something, to respond, to join, to activate. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I haven't thought about the word invitation, but that's absolutely true. And I think that's interesting because having moved out of this time of isolation where we were in this creative zone frame into now this re residence uh, and uh, for sheltered in place, it is exactly that. It's an invitation. We're, one of the things we're going to be doing is doing a podcast with some of the local elders in the Lower East Side, East 4th Street, East 3rd Street community and talk to them about what home means and what sheltering means and what place means. Peggy's going to be doing a, a painting project where she's going to uh, ask the residents to send them photographs of themselves in masks. And she will exchange with them a painting of themselves in a mask. Uh, Lori Eastside, who is a, you know, an all, a longtime collaborator of ours, uh, does a lot of really, really ethically sourced, beautiful uh, photographs of people living on the street. And so we're going to do a gallery showing of that. So, they're in this, we're building a house. We're bringing the house that we lived in in London and we're rebuilding it locally, um, ultimately in the, in the East Village in relation to our work at La Mama. It will be a website, so it will be digitally accessed from all over. Well, the oh, that's great. Oh, the interesting thing also is about our residency is that I live on 4th Street. Lois is on 3rd Street, and La Mama's in the middle between us. And because we're in residence at La Mama, we're already home. I mean, La Mama's been our home for 30 years, where we do our work. But we're already home 
in our actual, you know, apartments. And now um, our daughter lives in my building. Our grandson just got a, an apartment on Fourth Street. So it is our we're building our homes in, around La Mama and being in residence at the same time and interviewing all the people in the neighborhood that I've that we've both known for the last forty years. So it's a way of, it's a wonderful way of, um, rather than spreading out all over the world, it's a wonderful way of staying home. I think that's the, and that is the, I think the result of the pandemic and, and our relationship to having been locked down is that we've turned our minds more locally. You know, we're more, we were local in London, we're thinking locally in New York City, and we've been very local here in in well in delaware county in in outside of roscoe for us we've really begun to develop our community here and can you share with us what you mean by that lois you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you create and generate the kind of work for the kind of way you want the world to be and and so i'm wondering now how do you want the world to be and what's been what's been happening in Delaware County and Sullivan County New York where you're based right now in Delaware at the edge of Sullivan County just outside of Roscoe New York and the Catskills what you've been doing if you can share with us how this connects to your I wanted to say the home of your work or the body of your work as we're talking about these themes well it feels to me like we've brought the feeling that we had in London back here with us, which was after living on this block and getting to know everyone in the neighborhood, on Saturday the egg man would come and deliver eggs. He'd bring them to the door. Um, we'd get our food delivered from John the grocer. There was no, um, I don't know, uh, It was so, everyone was starting to rely on their neighbors people would say, does anyone have an apple? Or does anyone have a butter? I don't know, everyone was on WhatsApp. And so the whole block became really, really friendly. And we started having, you know, parties outside on the block and all that stuff. It feels like we brought that back home with us, that feeling of make sure we order from the organic farm, Berry Brook Farm. You know, that's where we get our vegetables right. from. Um, and we, it's like it, the thing, you know, I, I think it happened here, but the, there's um, like hundreds of mutual aid groups sprang up in response. And so there's, there's a mutual aid group on our block. And so I think that was that sense of wanting two things happened at once. I think uh, we came back with that, that spirit of mutual aid, like how might we generate that amongst our community in a more conscious way? We do it anyway, but how can we really reach out and, and be more conscious about how we give aid in a mutual way? Um, but it happened at the same time when we came back at the beginning of the, you know, the beginning of the end of the election, when we realized we had to do something. We had to be involved. We had to be active. And so L.A. Kaufman, you know, who is our very wonderful uh county activists and organizer had suggested that we do some postcard writing for reclaim the vote so we went over to her house one night to do that and then i said well you know we could host a party once a week 
on our side of the mountain and get our side of the mountain involved and knowing in my head that not only would it be a way to get the work done, it would be a way to start strengthening our sense of community uh, amongst the people who often socialize together, but we don't work together. And so that idea was born and that's what we've been doing every Friday night for the last five Friday nights, this Friday night coming up to the sixth, we gather, we write postcards for reclaim the vote and other uh, organizations and we make eat. wonderful dinners and we eat together and, and we get closer. We are much more intimate with each other. Through doing that, through, mm-hmm. through writing those postcards to get out the vote. Yep. And you call this a postcard writing cafe. Well, part of my work or part of what I have brought to my work with Peggy is uh, trying to create uh, what I call protocols or formats for generating public discussion. And I've done a long table. I, I created and created something called a porch sitting. And right after um, Trump was elected, I realized we needed to gather, you know, that like almost like a wake. We needed to come together. And so I created this thing called Care Cafe, which was basically people sitting at small tables randomly and talking to each other and doing something to, you know, coloring, pasting, cutting, writing, whatever. Um, so we, we modeled this postcard writing on the care cafes that I, that I have done and I am still doing and will be doing as part of our residency at La Mama. Can you define the word care as you envision it, as you created the care cafe and as you're now have been doing the Reclaim Our Vote postcard writing cafe? Really good question. I mean, when I talk about the care cafe, I talk about that we walk into a room and sit under a roof of care. So we can define that in many ways. There are people there who are carers. That's their jobs or their profession or certainly their, their vocation. Uh, we can care about society um, and we can care about issues. Um, uh, and we can approach uh, a, a particular kind of work. I think that we've tried to bring a sense of care into the way we make our work now because we're older because we have to look after each other, because we have to pay attention to the things we need in order to make that work. We have something we call our care package, which is like a rider that goes along with our contracts with, with venues to say, we need to be there a day early. We can't rush this. We need this. We need proper lighting. We can't fall over things. And so it's, it's basically attention, I think, and attention that's not the kind of attention that's being uh, sought after by the likes of Facebook and Google. It's proper attention that we have. It's one of our resources and it's how we can be attentive to each other. And I thank think you. it goes, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to, thank you, Lois. Yes, Peggy. I think it goes against the mood of the country before this pandemic, which was, oh, I work too hard. Oh, I have to, I have to, you know, I work 12 hours a day. I'm just so tired all the time. I just work, I work, I work, I work. And I think care is making sure that you don't just work. There is other ways to live that is not just using up all your time, you know, in a job. And we're lucky. We're very lucky people. We've been uh, lucky our whole lives in split bridges. And the fact that I think we've always cared about 
in our work, we've always cared about women uh, being the main focus of the shows and about um, queer and about making sure that there's a place to perform. I mean, I think of us as a smaller Ellen Stewart. I mean, Ellen Stewart's main goal at La Mama was to give artists space to perform. And our goal is to make sure that we do our own work. And I think also, I mean, to, listening to you think, talk, it is intensely feminist. I mean, there's a whole theoretical basis of this called the ethics of care, which is, you know, that care, how we do it is just as important as what we do. How we do is as important as what we do. And, and I think that we've always, as Peggy said, approached our work and approached our community with an, an ethics of care. And food. <laughs> but food, and food. Well, food. you know, the, I think they go together, really. <laughs> they cannot be separated. Absolutely, they go together. And even when we used to talk with Deb Margolin when we first started Split Bridges, we'd start a show by getting together and eating pasta and making food. That has maintained itself over the years. Is <laughs> always, you got to eat. Yes, always. I, I agree with you. I wish I could share a Trailer Talk brownie through the screen. Uh, but I'm just wondering, as we come to our conclusion with this conversation, I'm going back to, again, what you said, Lois, at the top of our conversation. How do you want the world to be? Is, is, that's a vast question. But because you are now in the Catskills of New York and you've been bringing people together to reclaim the vote, you've been canvassing Lois in Pennsylvania. But Lois and Peggy, if you can take us out with this wish for our listeners of the kind of world that you want it to be. Well, I think it, it happens to be about the word sharing as well as caring. Like I said a minute ago, we're very lucky and we have, you know, space and time um, and opening ourselves up again. By again, I mean, I think in the last 20 years, everyone's gotten very isolated in a way because of computers and Facebook and everything else. I think sharing our space up here, we have five acres. We've been sharing that more like we used to do in the 70s and 80s and and um, learning from Black Lives Matter uh, about how to, um, what, is, what is that word, reparations. Mm -hmm. And I remember being up here and one of my, my grandson is a boy of color. And I remember up here, one of my neighbors, when he was born, they said, oh, okay, I think maybe we should all tithe 10% of our money that we make and give it to him because he's a person of color and he has a different future than we all have and we need to make up for the past. So I think it, a lot of the feelings that we have about sharing and caring is from the, the huge acknowledgement of Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's just, it's just so big that it, it almost small. It's, it's almost like a, I think that's another part of the last gasp. It's almost not being able to breathe from the emotions of it all, from having to live, to live that way. So I think, you know, it all comes together. It's all come together to hopefully make a better uh, living, way of living that's not so fast and ridiculous. 
And I mean, it's impossible. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, it's impossible not to think about what you want the future to be without thinking about the word justice. You know, and if it's economic justice, if it's racial justice, if it's environmental justice, what is just? And I think that we have been so affronted by so many injustices, you know, probably throughout our lives, but certainly in the last four years, you know, that, that to, to just do away with that, that class injustice, the, the racist and, you know, racial injustice, all to do, to get rid of that and come back on track to some kind of sense of preserving what we value in the world. You know, we value nature, we value each other's lives, we value, we value the, and, and this is my most crucial one, we value the potential in each individual. And that's always been my thing. And that's the bedrock of my feminism is that, you know, we all deserve a place at the table and we all deserve an opportunity to meet our greatest potential. And, and we need, and we deserve the support and the reinforcements and the resources to do that. And, and I think that that's what I'm living for and fighting for. And that's what our work has been about, you know, about using our imagination to imagine that change. That's why you're a teacher. (laughs) Yes. Thank you both so much. I've been speaking with Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw. They are artists, activists, community engagers, and Mm. carers. And it's really been incredible to speak with you. So we'll have to do it again. (laughs) Yes, that's very much. It's It's been a real pleasure just to hang out with you. Thank you. To find out more about... Peggy Shaw and Lois Weaver, please visit split-bridges.com. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. Hey, you want to hear a secret? Every week, the Retro Cocktail Hour digs deep into the record library for space-age bachelor pad music, tiki tunes from the 1950s, TV crime, jazz, swinging soundtracks, and more. It's not your father's record collection. Oh, wait. It is your father's record collection. The Retro Cocktail Hour on WJFF Radio Catskill in Jeffersonville, New York. Wednesday night at 8 on Radio Catskill. You're listening to WJFF Jeffersonville. We are Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania and beyond. Support comes from the Law Office of John Ferrara in Monticello, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial and family law and criminal defense. John.Ferrara557 at gmail.com. Support comes from the Vintage House on Main Street, Jeffersonville, featuring eclectic furnishings, clothing, antiques, records, and books in a charming 19th century house. VintageHouseJville.com and on Instagram at VintageHouseJville. 
You're listening to the Retro Cocktail Hour.